and the workbooks, these brown covered things are available. If you want to purchase one, they're $15, $20 at Kuring. If you go there and get one, you can. There's about 100 left in the store and there's about 100 out the front out there if you'd like to purchase one here. Now, for those of you who are into the internet and like things electronically, I think you can also get certainly the talks on YouTube and you might even be able to get some of the study material for free on the internet. Don't ask me about it. <laughs> um, but Alvin sent me a link and so if you want that link, you can fill it in on the information guide. Just could you send me that link, please? And We'll send that and uh, we might even try and put in the bulletin for you next week as well. But I commend these to you, um, not just because it has an a great outline of um, the talks that we're going to be doing each week, uh, but following that, for seven days, you'll also get a devotional. There is group work to do, but there's also a daily devotional where you get to read this and respond for seven days. And you do that for the next 50 days. That's how it's designed over the next seven weeks. Um, if you want to skip church, which you don't want to, of course, because it's not a spiritual habit if you skip church, all the answers are in the back. <laughs> there's also some very helpful material in the back, and I don't know if I'll get to talk about this today, but there's a spiritual health guide and a checkup, which you can't see from there, I know, but there are five different purposes and there are questions under each one of... If you study the Bible and you do a topical study on it and you try to think, <clears throat> what are the most important things that God wants us to be doing, to be aware of. Why did he make us? What's our purpose? Well, if you look at the scriptures and you put them together, you collate things together, which is what I did in another lifetime in another church several churches ago. It was a small country town and I had lots of extra time, so I did lots of extra reading and things. <clears throat> and I discovered that uh, at my, my end study was that I discovered that the Bible talks about these five primary purposes and nearly every command or every scripture can fit under one of those. Sometimes not exactly, but you know, with a little, you can make them fit. And the five purposes are to reach, connect, grow, serve and honour. They're the five purposes of our church. Evangelism, about connecting together and membership and being committed to one another and loving one another. It's about growing to maturity in Christ and all the disciplines associated with that. It's about discovering a gift and serving him, and it's about honouring and praising him, not just corporately, that's a part of it, but also personally and in our families. And there's a spiritual health check against those five purposes in the back of the book. Um, just to reinforce that material, when Rick Warren first came to Australia, I think it was back in the early 1990s, I was in this little country town, June E was the name of it, and uh, I was the Baptist pastor there, and... I started doing this study. He came and he did a conference. And when he came, his conference said that there were four purposes of the church. The one that he left out was worship. And that was the fifth one that I had put in. When he came back to Australia, I don't know, three, four, five, six years later, whatever it was, he had five purposes. And guess what the fifth one was? Worship. And I went, yes. <laughs> so why am I saying that? Well, just to reinforce, that was my own personal study which is confirmed by him and his study. Uh, he certainly does it way much better than I do. Um, but I do think that what he's teaching is biblical. Now, I do know that there are people, and like all great servants of God, all the way back to Jesus himself, you can't serve God passionately without being attacked. Not just by the world, but often it's by God's own people. So you'll find Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was a mighty servant of God, 
attacked by God's own people. You'll find the same with Billy Graham, you'll find the same with Rick Warren, you'll find the same with you name them. Anybody who has stood up for Jesus, anybody who's been passionately about serving him will become a target. You can't please everybody. But the purpose of why God made us is really to please him, to love everybody, but to please and honour him and to serve him. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks about this whole process of being transformed, of becoming mature followers of the Lord Jesus. Now in the bulletin it talks about these seven areas that we're going to be looking at. Today we'll look at spiritual health. Next week we'll go on to physical health. That'll be completely hypothetical in theory for me. <laughs> no, it won't. It'll be corrective. And The pastoral staff have started a competition. Did I tell you this? I did? We think that we need to get fitter. I know that you may not believe that, but we think we do. And so we have each put in, or if we haven't, we will be, $50. And between now and I think it's the end of August... I think it's the end of August, whatever it is, there's a date. <coughs> and the person, the pastor who loses, or a student, anybody on the pastoral staff, the person who loses the biggest percentage of weight gets the kitty. That's $300. So please pray for me. <laughs> if you do the maths, and I'm the, I have to lose the most to make the percentage gain. Alvin has got to cut his fingernails and he'll win. <laughs> it's not quite true. He'll have to cut his toenails as well. Mental health, emotional health. And then there's a gap. On the last Sunday in July, we're doing a thing called Next Generation Sunday, which is where we're going to look at how we as a church community can assist the next generation of followers of the Lord Jesus. So our children who are in kids' church, our young people. And they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. So it's about us looking to the generation younger than us and assisting them in leadership, in ministry, and following the Lord Jesus. Not simply ignoring them or doing our own thing, but that's that Sunday, a generation Sunday, next generation Sunday. Then we'll talk about relationships, finances, and of course then our vocation, which is to do with our occupation, which is for those of you who are full-time employed, that's where you spend significant amount of your time probably most of your time and therefore that's the place where you need to be a passionate follower of Jesus so we want to talk about that how do you follow Jesus in the workplace and you might be a full-time mum your occupation is that well same how do you follow Jesus passionately as a full-time mum as a domestic engineer training and developing the next generation uh, I brought my phone with me up here this morning because Margie who was here I guess she's still oh, there she is can I read your text that you sent me. Um, this is just a, a, a praising note about the awesome things that Jesus did this week of uh, bringing people. Pastor David's already told you there was about 43, 45 kids, I think it is up to now. Um, we're not sure about the preps, Margie says. This is a text from her. But I have the names of 14 year ones, 10 year twos, 7 year threes, 5 year fours, 2 year fives, 5 year sixes. And there was another year two and another year six on Friday who came to faith. They ticked the box to say, I want to make Jesus king of my life. Now, what you also need to know is that there are 18 others who ticked the box to say they're going to think about it. So pray for them. 
pray that they'll think about it, they won't just forget about it. Know what Jesus said, that when the seed is planted, then the evil one comes and he'll take away the seed that's been planted in their hearts. Remember that parable, that story? So pray against that. Pray that the seed that's been planted will take root and that these kids will come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, there is a whole stack of other kids, which is just wonderful. We've already ticked the box of saying, I already follow Jesus as my king. Isn't that wonderful? It's terrific. So, absolutely. Let's remain faithful and prayerful and supportive of it. Thank you again to the church for all that you did in supporting this and making it a significant week. Margie's then concluded by saying, 51 weeks to go. <laughs> and I texted her back and I said, it's probably closer to 30 for you, isn't it? Because she starts about 20 weeks earlier than anybody else into this thing. And of course, I think the key to our kids' club is not just the very committed, gifted leadership that God has raised up, these ladies particularly, but the other leaders that they're raising up under them, that's significant. But I think the most important thing of why kids' church, kids' club is impacting and successful is because of the prayers of God's people, because you pray. It's a spiritual battle, and it's won, therefore, spiritually. Amazing talent by kids and young people, as you, if you were here Friday night, you would have seen that, and we ought to be thankful for that. But at the end of the day, we can do our best and still be ineffective. It's God who grants the growth. It's God who brings people into his kingdom. So therefore, we need to be a people who pray. Um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to read John, uh, Luke chapter 15, a very famous story or part thereof, and that will introduce, lay the foundation for our series on um, being transformed. In this book also, the workbook, it, it invites you to, not just to do this individually, you certainly, there is a part for that, but also challenges us to do it with others. Now, whether you do that in your family or whether you do that in your life groups, or maybe you're not in a life group and you don't, for whatever reason, don't, can't have the time or don't particularly want to get into a life group. But let me encourage you to think seriously about maybe just joining a group just for these seven weeks and doing this part of the journey just for those seven weeks and see what it's like. It doesn't have to be a big group. In fact, the smaller, the better, because... It's about conversing together and holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, listening to one another. So there's good guidelines on the back of that. Following from the Alpha course, there's going to be a group that's going to meet in Hope House on Wednesday night, 7.30. If you're not in a group, you would like to be in a group, come along to Hope House on Wednesday night. Let's wait and see how many turn up. There's about a dozen or so people have indicated they're interested in doing something like that. So you don't have to indicate, just turn up. Um, and join in and if you're not sure well turn up check it out and if you don't like it well then there's no obligation for you to stay um, it might be filled of people that you don't like that'll be pressure on you to stay now won't it Luke chapter 15 very famous story that Jesus told <clears throat> and it's really about transformation and I'm not sure where you're at spiritually in your relationship and closeness to Jesus. The reality is, the closer we are to him, then the better life is. The better life seems. That as we walk in obedience and uh, responsiveness to him and filled with his spirit, 
then he, it doesn't mean we are troubles free, but it does mean that when troubles come, we have more resources and more of ability to be able to cope with those tough times. But if you're far from God, well then you'll find that troubles will probably increase, difficulties will increase, because as I'll say again in a minute, that's God's way of trying to get you back on course. Remember Jonah, who took himself far from God? Well, God pursued him and bad things started happening in his life. So depending on where you are, then this part of the message, the beginning of this might be for you. If you're not close to God, maybe it's time to get back, to get close or to... um, learn this morning how to stay close and how to grow and to develop in your relationship with Jesus. So Luke 15, this is verse 11, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate, my inheritance. So the father does. He divided his property between them, two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country And they squandered the wealth in wild living, far from the father. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. There was an economic downturn, there was a recession, he's now unemployed and he's got no source of income and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreign country, who sent him to the field, into his fields to feed pigs, which is pretty tough call for a young Jewish boy. This is certainly a non-kosher environment. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods eggs were eating. Now, you've got to be pretty hungry to desire that, haven't you? One of my jobs is that I get to take the garbage out, usually every, what, 100%. Occasionally, Rhonda does it, um, but it's not her job to do it. It's my job to do it. Now, imagine being so hungry that as I take the bag out and put it in the auto bin, Sulo bin, hungry that sort of open the bag up and reach in and grab whatever we've been throwing in you'd have to be pretty hungry wouldn't you wouldn't you that's what he's like he's so hungry the scraps which are for the pigs he feels like whoa wouldn't mind some of that this slop and slosh he's hit a low point but no one gave him anything Desperate, far from the Father. Life has hit rock bottom. And then it says, verse 17, that he came to his senses. He came to realise something. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, so it's rehearsed, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, came to his senses, thought about what he needed to say and what he wanted to say. And I don't think they were just words. I think there was an expression of some inner depth from within him. Then remarkably, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Get the ring, put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Probably sold the sandals that he had. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a barbecue and let's celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost, now he's found. He was far off and now he is near. And they began to celebrate, Jesus says. Well, that's what this series is all about. That what happens for that young man is what God desires and wants for all of us, depending on where we are in our spiritual walk, in our walk with him. Just to go through this very quickly, we, like the son, made bad choices, and we, like him, have wandered far from the father. We, like him, thought life was all about me. Give me what's mine. Give me the inheritance, and I want it now. I don't want to have to wait for it. That's what life does to us. That's what sin that makes us self-centred. So he took off, went into a far country where he wasted it, as you know. He became homeless. Then the famine hits, ends up on a pig farm in that non-kosher situation, gets hungry, hits rock bottom, and then three things happen for him. Number one, now maybe this is where you're at. Number one, he came to his senses. He was fed up with life. Fed up with the circumstances, fed up with the stress, fed up with the troubles. He was not satisfied. He was not happy. In fact, he was desperate. There's no peace in his heart. He's made some bad choices and he's gotten himself into a situation of pain and hurt. It's not the end of the story. But for some people, that's where they are right now. Maybe that's where you are this morning, right now. But there are certainly many people in our community, your friends and neighbours, who could very well be just in that situation and they need to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, just before we go on, what's God doing in this situation? Well, God allows him to make a dumb choice, make a bad choice, makes a selfish choice. It's allowed. And off he goes. Then there is the famine. That's God knocking on the door. Then he finds that... He has no money left, God knocking on the door. Finds he's deserted by his friends and he's lonely, God knocking on the door. Ends up working for a pig farmer and he comes to his senses. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our conscience, speaks to us in our circumstances, shouts at us in our pain. God trying to get our attention. God knocks on the door and sometimes, and maybe in your life or people you know, God will kick the door in. It'll get very painful, very hurtful, bad things will happen to bring you to your senses. Sometimes, after God has knocked on the door, sometimes he'll just walk away and he'll leave you to your own choices. He will hand you over to the choices that you make. It's not his desire. He wants everybody to come to him. But he will not force you against your will. Somebody once said, and I don't know who it was, but a thousand years ago, you can lead a horse to water, but what can you do? My grandfather taught me, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can feed him salt. You can put salt in his oats. You can create a thirst. Well, I wonder if God's doing that for you 
Is God putting salt in your oats? Is he creating a thirst so that you will come to him to drink, to find real satisfaction in knowing him? So this young guy, number one, gets fed up with life. That was certainly part of my spiritual story. Second thing, and very importantly, this transformation doesn't happen until we hit this point. He admits it. Bible words are he confesses his sin. He owns up. He's very honest. He's not pretending. He comes to his senses. I have sinned against God and I've sinned against my father and I need to tell him and I need to put it right. That's what we need to do. We need to face the truth that we're not living God's ways, that we're doing it our own way and probably it's not even working that well. We all need to come to the point of realising that the choices we make, Isaiah 59 verse 2, that our sins separate us from God. God doesn't move. Our sins cause us to move. But it's God's desire that we move back. Maybe you've moved from God because you've replaced God with an idol, like we spoke about the last couple of weeks. An idol is not that, just that wooden stone statue that you bow down and worship. An idol is anything or anyone that you put first in your life that displaces him. It's breaking the second commandment. You shall not make any false idols. You won't have any other God before me, God says. He wants to be number one. He made us. That's where he needs to be. And so this young man owns up to his sin. He faces it. What's God's response to that? What's the father's response in the story? Well, notice the father doesn't say, well, I should think so. It's about time you came to your senses. And let me tell you a few other things that you haven't mentioned. That's not God's response, is it? God's response is like the father in the story. What does the father do? Notice each one of them. When he's still a long way off, the father sees him. The father is looking, wanting, desiring those who are far from him to come to him. Hearts filled with compassion, not condemnation, compassion. Moves towards him. He meets him more than halfway. When he, and he runs to him. Culturally unacceptable for a Middle Eastern father to run. But he ran. He exposes his ankles, which was just shocking. Just as an aside, Tony Rigby said to me last week when I was wearing my um, maroon shirt, he said that I had offended him by being in the pulpit because I didn't take off my blue jeans. <laughs> well, I think I said, you would all be offended if I did that. Well, in the ancient world, a dad with a long robe couldn't even walk through a paddock with the possibility where the thorns might grab the hem of his garment and lift it up a little bit and you would see his ankles. That would be disgusting. That would be shocking. Well, this dad picks up his robe and runs. That's God's attitude towards us. He'll break cultural, excuse me, cultural taboos in order to get to us. And then what does the father do? Embraces him and then what? Kisses him. When a slave comes, kisses the feet. When a servant comes, kisses the hand. To stand and to kiss on the cheek or on the neck is to embrace as an equal. 
I'm talking about restoration, the father bringing the son back and to welcome back. Give him a new robe, cleansed. and So he looks just like he'd never been away. Give him a new ring, which is the equivalent of a credit card. He just spent the half the inheritance. Well, here's the rest of it. Here's the next credit card. Fully restored back. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration, not condemnation. Because he came to himself. He was fed up with life. He came to the point where he had to own up to what he had done wrong. And then when he comes back, he offers himself up to his father. He began with give me. Now he's saying to his father, make me. Make me one of your servants. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Well, that's what this process of transformation is all about for us. It's about being transformed to become like Jesus. But to become like Jesus, first of all, you have to have the life of Jesus living in you. Now, most of you have already taken that step. Most of you who have prayed that prayer, you've surrendered your life. You've confessed, you've owned up to God. You've confessed your sin. You've asked him to help you, to change you, to transform you. And he has. He's forgiven you. He's given you eternal life. Well, now the Father wants you to be growing and maturing and changing and being transformed to be just like his son. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for all of us. That's what the business of the church is, that we are to produce followers of Christ who are like him. We are to be coming more like Jesus. You know the old WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, it's more like what was Jesus like and we're to become like him and the time has gone and I'm about to start how about that so Ellie you ready let's go flat out you need to buy the book all right if you don't have money today give me an IOU <laughs> no seriously you can do that I, I really would like you to get the material. You can get it electronically if you prefer to do that. It's good material. Um, if you have issues, some people do. If you have issues with Rick Warren, then by all means come and have a talk about it. And If I get time on another Sunday, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, here are the seven areas. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've accepted him now. Here are seven spiritual habits that God wants you to have in your life which will facilitate the process of you maturing, of you becoming more like the Lord Jesus. Here's number one. I must love Jesus supremely. In the material in the book, it's uh, Luke 14, 26. It's the great commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love God supremely. Love Jesus supremely. He wants to be number one. It's not... Um, how much you know about Jesus, it's not how much you just say about Jesus, not the talk you talk, it's really about becoming and loving him with everything that you have. It's that second commandment again, no idols before him. He's supreme. Mum and dad's not supreme, he's supreme. The wife is husband's not supreme, he's supreme. The kids are not the most important, he is. The work is not the most, he is. He is the most important, he has absolute claim on our life because he is the one who made us second habit i must meet with him daily daily it doesn't have to be for a long time but it does have to be a time that i meet with him on a regular basis every day if you're not in the habit of doing that and it is a habit for you to grow and to develop in if you're not in the habit of doing that you will stunt your growth 
If you haven't, then let me encourage you to start. Start with five minutes a day. But what you will find helpful and necessary is probably you will need an appointment time. It's your choice. It's your appointment with him. He'll keep his appointments. So you decide when is the best time for you to meet with him, whatever time it is. Henry Blackaby, I've told years ago now, he made an appointment to meet with God at, um, what was it, 6 o'clock in the morning. And he found that when he started meeting with God at 6 o'clock in the morning, it didn't give him enough time before he had to go to work, so he met at 5.30. And he continued to find that it wasn't enough time, so then it was 5 o'clock, and then it got back to 4.30. It's to become a priority. Now, you may not be like Henry Blackaby. You might go for the 5, 10, or 15 minutes, but it's a daily, regular appointment. It's turning up and saying, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me today? As well as, Lord, there are some things I want to talk to you about today. That's this relationship and this conversation. It's checking in. Make an appointment. Keep your appointment every day, daily. He talks about that in the book. Number three, I must study his word and do his word. It's not just study. It's not just increasing my knowledge. It's actually applying it and doing it. That's why the Bible was given. Not for us simply to know and to study and to memorize, was given for us to obey, was given for us to do. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is good for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. Why? That the person of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why did God give us the Bible? To equip us to do good works. To do. Not to be hearers only, but doers. And with that, of course, comes God's blessing. Number three. Number four, there are seven habits. The fourth habit is to do with your money, which is an area where we have to relinquish control and trust him. The Bible teaches that we must tithe our income. We put God first. He doesn't get the leftovers. He gets the first bit. And it's the bit you decide that you're going to faithfully give to him. And you work it out according to your circumstances and then move it forward. There are promises in the book, Malachi 3.10. Every promise in the Bible is preceded by a premise. If, if you do this, I will do that. If we confess our sins, he will forgive. God says, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, then I will open the, doors, the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing on you that you won't be able to receive. If you do this, I will do that. But God won't do that unless we're doing this. The premise with a promise. I must tithe my income. I have to think through what I'm doing with my money and I must serve God faithfully in it. And we'll certainly come back to that in about five or six weeks where we'll talk about transformation in our financial habits. Habit number five for us to grow spiritually healthy and strong is that I must learn to love other believers. It's not just about me and God. It's me and God with brothers and sisters in his family. If I love him, then I'm to love the family. Not like, love. Love is something we do to behave in a loving way towards our brothers and sisters in him. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. That's the, the mark of the indicator of a follower of Jesus. You love him. If you've heard the statement, Jesus, yes, church, no. Something's spiritually wrong, seriously wrong. God says, in fact, you can't do that. You can't say, I love God, and then say, but I don't like Christians. If you're saying, I don't like Christians, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in their behaviour, or there's something wrong in your attitude, or both. 
Fifth habit for spiritual health is I must learn to love other believers. We're in this together, the family. Spiritual growth always happens in community, which is why that would be important for you to be in a life group, a small group, where you're talking to one another and helping one another. And You see, you can't love in a group like this. It's too big. But you can love in a small group where you get to know one another, care for each other, and grow together, learning about one another. People are people. Rhonda is the best person in the world, besides me. She's the best person in the world, and she's married to me. But believe it or not, occasionally, very rarely, she gets upset with me. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But apparently, I do things wrong. Rarely, occasionally. Only about once an hour. And vice versa, you know what I'm saying. The people we are closest to, we are still sinners. We can still upset each other. We can still hurt each other. But we're still committed to each other, aren't we? Oh, good. We still love each other. Love is something we do but we don't always feel loving. So too with one another as believers. We won't always feel it, but it's what we do. It's how we behave. Let's move on. The sixth spiritual habit that we need to have in order to be spiritually healthy is we must learn to serve others unselfishly. Learning to serve. That's why Jesus came. The Son of Man came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The more we learn about serving and about giving, the more we will become like Jesus. That's what transformation is, becoming more like him. It's the abilities, the gifts, the talents that God is giving us, it's their spiritual muscles. And if you've got it, you've got to use it. And if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Well, we have to exercise our spiritual muscles by serving one another. And number seven is... I must pass on the good news. If I want to be spiritually healthy, then I'm to be committed to being obedient to loving Jesus and doing exactly what he wants me to do. And what does he want me to do? He wants me to tell other people about him, that what I've been told, I'm to tell them, that what I have received, I'm to share with them. Pray for the opportunity that each one of us will be able to, like Kids Club, you're telling the story so that people can come to faith in the Lord Jesus. What about praying this or taking this on board for a spiritual habit for this year, for the remainder of this year? Just pray, Lord, can you allow me and help me have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know you and even to lead them to knowing you? Just one. Not two, three, ten, twenty, thirty, one. If each one of us prayed that, if each one of us did that, we reached one person for Jesus each year then we'd be being obedient, we'd be growing spiritually. And what you will find is what I've found, is when you talk to non-Christians, they will ask you questions you don't know the answers to. And that'll provoke you to find out. It'll force you to grow. God uses that process to grow us to spiritual health. So let each one of us win one. I need to finish. These are the seven foundational habits for us to grow spiritually. These habits are there for us and they're based upon our choice. They don't happen automatically. It's what you choose to do on a daily basis. If you're going to get serious about following Jesus and you're going to get serious about being spiritually healthy, then you'll choose to love him supremely. 
You'll choose to meet with him daily, study his word and do his word. That you'll do something with your income, you'll tithe it. That you'll start to love, continue to love and develop in loving other believers unselfishly. Being committed to the church, being committed to small groups, being committed to growing. That you'll choose to serve, that you'll find a place where God has wired you, gifted you, where you can give expression to your talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. And to grow spiritually, the seventh habit is you will pass on the truth to others and you'll be looking for that opportunity to share. These are the seven habits of a healthy spiritual growth. I commend them to you. We're going to close in prayer. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, just like you transformed that prodigal son who got fed up and then owned up, and then, having been forgiven and received, he offers up himself. So, Lord, here we are. Wherever we're at in this spiritual journey, help us to open up our hearts, to be completely honest with you about where we're at. And, Lord, we want to offer ourselves to you. Could you help us in the area of loving you supremely, meeting with you daily, studying and doing your word, being not greedy but giving and particularly giving our tithe back to you and to your work, loving one another, serving and Lord sharing the good news of Jesus. Grant those things Lord Jesus because we want to grow spiritually to maturity in you. Transform us to be more like you. We ask in your name and for your sake. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. If you haven't got a book, you want to get a book, they'll be for sale down in the back. Let's go and have morning tea together.